and welcome to the Radical News Radio Hour with Serene Saadeh. You're listening to WFNU LP St. Paul Frogtown Community Radio 94.1 FM. Today is we have a packed episode. First we'll hear from Julia Gay, the Communications and Marketing Coordinator for the Coalition of Asian American Leaders of Minnesota. Um, we're launching a small partnership as part of their Mini Asian Stories Month, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. We're also going to listen to a clip from a press conference held on Monday the 17th, yesterday, um, as the last day of the Minnesota State Legislature. During the press com- conference, the governor, the Speaker of the House, and the Senate Majority Leader announced a bipartisan budget agreement. According to the press release, the budget areas were still being finalized, but the global budget targets were, were you know, decided on. Um, and we're also going to talk about Palestine for just a few minutes. Um, we are going to start with Julia. Uh, Julia is the Communications and Marketing Coordinator for the Coalition of Asian American Leaders of Minnesota, or Cal Minnesota. Um, as part of Asian American and Pacific Islanders Heritage, Mo- uh, Heritage Month, uh, which is currently happening, Cal uh, Minnesota has launched their Mini Asian Stories project. In partnership, uh, we're showcasing a few stories from Asian American individuals on this show for the rest of the month. So we'll hear a few more people over the next few episodes and in later later episodes um, as well. Um, here's our interview now. Why don't we start with your name, uh, your pronouns, and uh, what you do for work? Great. My name is Julia Gay, and my pronouns are she and they, and I work at the Coalition of Asian American Leaders as the Communications and Marketing Coordinator. So at Cal, um, I have the opportunity to oversee a lot of our external communications and our work with media and press, Um, and then one project that I've been really happy to um, oversee is our Mini Asian Stories series, which um, is happening as we speak uh, this month in May, um, kind of in part a celebration of Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, um, but also just an opportunity to uplift all the many diverse stories and voices we have in our Asian Minnesotan community. Um, So throughout May, we we release on social media our website and newsletter, um, stories from the Asian Minnesotan community throughout the month. Um, and it's a really great opportunity to hear super, um, super different and powerful experiences. Um, and this year we actually open it up to some creative reflections. And so not only do we have people sharing stories, but also sharing poetry and photography and film and and artwork and so it's been a really rich um, opportunity for me to read through everyone's stories and work with storytellers in um, figuring out what what story they want to share um, and also this month uh, usually we open up stories to any story that people are interested in sharing but this this year we realized that 2020 2021 has been really heavy for our communities, and there has been so much um, going on 
with the pandemic, with the uprising, uh, with a lot of our communities facing um, anti-Asian racism um, and incidents of hate. And so we open this many Asian stories opportunity up as an invitation for people to reflect on this moment and on the past year, um, because I know that a lot of us haven't had an opportunity to do so. Um, the past year has, I feel like we've been in crisis response mode. Um, and so this is an invitation to our, our friends and family and community members to slow down and take a deep breath and think about everything that's been going on um, and speak from a very personal space. So I'm really excited to be a part of this project and that help uplift these stories. Thank you for that. So if you're comfortable, it would be great to hear a little bit about how you came to this role in Cal. I know you mentioned that um, you joined fairly recently. So, you know, what's it like being in this position? Um, and how did you get here, if you feel comfortable sharing? Sure. <laughs> I'd be happy to. Um, yeah, so I have had kind of a long and winding journey to find myself in this position at, at the Coalition of Asian American Leaders. Um, I have a background in the arts, actually. Um, and so I'm a dancer, a playwright, I do stand-up comedy. Um, so I really love, honestly, the art of storytelling. Um, and that's kind of the way that I entered into Cal, um, recognizing that communications work is ultimately telling the story of the organization and the impact they're having on community. And so, um, yeah, through kind of through my art, I had the opportunity to dance with um, Ananya Dance Theater, which is a contemporary Indian dance company based in St. Paul. Um, I also kind of do some of my own work. Uh, I recently, well, I guess back in 2019, I remounted a one-woman show that I wrote called Mother Landed, and that explores my personal experience as a Chinese adoptee. Um, and a lot of my work is really influenced by my experience as an adoptee. I'm constantly using various mediums of art as ways to explore my identity and also create space for more adoptee voices. And, and for me, ultimately, my goal is to recenter um, the adoptee narrative, recenter the adoptee voice when we talk about adoption. So often we talk about adoptive parents and their perspective, but I think it's really crucial to think about the adoptee as well and center their experience. So that's like just a little bit of what I do kind of without my cow hat on or and it led me to the work that I'm doing now. And I know that we're going to be um, sharing one of your poems that you wrote for this project. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about the poem? So this poem is entitled At the Edge of Enough. And I wrote it last summer at the height of the uprising. Um, and it was actually, um, the poem came out of a collaboration I did with the Eastside Freedom Library and an artist named Rebecca Nicholson. Um, and I was invited to do this workshop with it was Asian American writers and black writers. And um, 
Rebecca and the Eastside Broom Library really wanted to create this um, creative space where we could come together in conversation, specifically around Black Asian solidarity, and then see what we created together. So we had these conversations throughout the summer, and then this poem is what I wrote from it. The poem, if I mean, when we listen to it, it's very clear, but it's, I wrote it after having attended a, a rally for Black Lives Matter in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. And I remember it was specifically a rally that was put, um, organized by a lot of Asian organizers and activists in the community here in the Twin Cities. I just remember being confronted in the moment when we were marching down the street and asking myself, what does it look like to show up for black lives as Asian Americans? And specifically in the poem, I'm questioning, are we doing enough? And it is organizing this protest enough? Is showing up with black Asians for black lives matter signs enough? So that's kind of what sparked this particular poem. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, before we move into the poem, is there anything else you'd like to share with me today or that, with the audience today that I haven't asked you yet? No, that's that's all. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this show and for helping us coordinate the other speakers that we'll be hearing from this month. I'm just so grateful for your leadership. We also have a poem from Julia that she shared with us. Here's that poem now. The poem I'm about to share is entitled At the Edge of Enough. An ask went out into the community for API volunteers to marshal the defund MPD march. This is your time to show up as API for black lives, they said, and show up we did as marshals and marchers and angry civilians. With our signs and our BLM masks, we march down University Avenue. They call out their names and we echo in response. Michael Brown, Eric Gardner, Oscar Grant, Atatiana Jefferson, Freddie Gray, Ahmad Arbery, Terrence Crutcher, Betty Jones, Trayvon Martin, Laquan McDonald, Philando Castile, Dominique White, Rihanna Taylor, George Floyd, my voice is hoarse. Parts of names get caught on the hangnails of my throat. Others muffled by my mask. Is it bad I don't even recognize all of their names? Don't know their ages, where they lived, the name of the mother who mourns them, the sound of their laughter the way they took their morning coffee with cream, no sugar. 
Maybe they were too young to like the bitter taste of coffee. Maybe I skimmed their name in a headline as I scrolled mindlessly through my news feed, scrolled mindlessly through news feeding me, mindlessly feeding news through me, scroll through me, feeding me mindlessly news of another black person murdered by police. A sign flashes overhead. It reads, Asians for Black Lives Matter. And I wonder, would I remember all their names if they looked more like me? Would I march longer, chant louder, sob more violently? Would I feel something more sharp and biting than the numbness in my gut? If it were my cousin, my auntie, my son. Are we Asians doing enough for Black Lives Matter? Is waving a sign enough? If waving a sign is not enough, how much closer to enough does it get us? I notice my feet are sore. My socks have scrunched up, leaving my shoes free to scratch away at the rawness of my ankles. I think to myself, my feet are sore for Black Lives Matter. My ankles bleed for Black Lives Matter. But enough feels so infinitely far away. I suppose we would have to pause for a moment before we arrive at the edge of enough. Still our breath. Give gratitude to our breath. Stare at ourselves reflected in the waters of this land, Minnesota Makoche, that hold to the expansiveness of the clouds above. Perhaps we must first love our own brownness. Love with no abandon the brownness of our skin, the brownness of our accents, the brownness of the way we grow our food and move our bodies before we take to the streets, chanting black is beautiful. Black is beautiful. Black is so, so beautiful. Before those words plant seeds in our hearts. Thank you. Thank you, Julia, for being on air with us and a preemptive thank you for helping us arrange all of our upcoming speakers in the next uh, few episodes and throughout the rest of the month. Um, we're just really excited to be working with you and to be able to share, share your work. Um, up next, we're going to listen to a clip from yesterday's press conference announcing a bipartisan budget agreement. The legislature, uh, legislature session ended yesterday as is legally designated. Um, and a special session will likely be called before mid June to finalize the budget agreement details, pass the actual budget agreement and hold off on a government shutdown, which is always important. Here's that clip now. 
Well, good morning, everyone. It, it's good. We got the whole gang back together again, and uh, I'm just glad to say Minnesota did it again. Um, we found commonality amongst ourselves. Um, I want to say a big thank you to the folks you see setting up here. Uh, folks uh, passionate, uh, bring their leadership and their values to the table and, and do so with a, a, a sense of decency and a sense of what's best for Minnesota. Uh, so Speaker Hortman, uh, thank you for these long nights. Uh, Leader Gazelka, um, we're just grateful. These are these are hard, hard, and I, I would, I'm not telling anyone here, we're one of the two states with divided legislature, and if Washington is any model for that, this stuff should be impossible. But um, because of the leadership of the speaker, um, of the leader, and, and their, uh, their right hands on this with Senator Rosen and Chair Moran, and of course, um, my partner in this, Lieutenant Governor, and all the folks that worked on this. We have reached an agreement on our target numbers. There's work to be done, as there should be in the legislature. Um, we know that this year has been a battle. It has been a battle with a, uh, an insidious virus that, um, that took over 7,000 of our neighbors, that sickened hundreds of thousands. Um, and now that battle is being won. It's being won with the vaccine. It's being won by the tenaciousness of Minnesotans. Um, in doing so, we made the, uh, the commitment together that this budget would be about recovering from COVID. It would be about investing in families, their children in education. It would be providing relief to families in the form of tax cuts, making sure that their, uh, the relief dollars they got, um, they're able to use for exactly what it was meant to recovery from COVID. We know that COVID did not hit all equally. So we uh, had the ability to set down, uh, grateful for the Stimulus Act and the, the American Rescue Plan dollars that allowed us to work together on that. We did it in conjunction with one another, and we did it again, listening to what Minnesotans were asking us and listening to what the members were telling these leaders what they needed to see in a bill. So that the money will start getting out. You'll start to see some of the numbers around this. What I will assure Minnesotans again is they saw a budget that this group worked on last time back in 2019, a fiscally responsible budget that puts money on the bottom line for a rainy day, but invests in our children, invests in our businesses, invests in transportation and infrastructure and finds compromises amongst us. We were able to do that. And I would uh, be glad to say in a fiscally responsible manner to understand that COVID and the battle against COVID isn't totally done, but we have moved into a new phase. We have moved into a new phase where Minnesotans are now back in all of their businesses. They're back in their schools and we're moving forward, but there's recovery to be done part of this money and you'll hear the leaders talk about this is we bifurcated that money out a pot of money that was meant to fight COVID that'll be directed through um, the executive branch and the bulk of the money roughly 2.4 billion that was worked through the legislative process half of that was in this budget for this biennium and the next one will move into next year the 1.233 so um, it's a good day Minnesota it proves once again that our democracy is strong that compromises a virtue not a vice and that setting down and listening to one another and truly valuing a differences of opinion at the end of the day can bring you an agreement that strengthens everyone, that gives everyone an opportunity to succeed in the state, that took into consideration um, the federal policies and made sure that Minnesota policies were uh, not only aligned and not only conformed, but we were leading on the issues that we cared about. So I just have to say, um, we, uh, we know we always have to push it to the wire a little bit, kind of the nature of it. Um, but I think for Minnesotans to understand this, that it, it's July 1st, the legislative process, it, it's, it's tough. It's tough in this environment. It, it, it's not easy. And there is the work, and you'll have questions about this, the work of democracy will be carried out in the House and in the Senate, along with the commissioners, 
and they will start to decide some of the, the granular details and some of the policy things that, that Minnesotans want to see solved. So um, it's a good day. There's work to be done. The goal is to try and get most of this wrapped up um, towards the end of May, get some time to write these things up and check that. And then when we come back for um, in June to be able to wrap up um, this year's budget, I mean, plenty of time, give guidance to this, to not be disruptive to Minnesotans. And I think, again, with today being tax day, the certainty, and, and you'll hear from each of them, the full conformity around the PPP loans and the full conformity around the UI insurance um, gives Minnesotans the certainty they need. And as of tomorrow, um, we will be putting the money in for summer school and the certainty that our schools need, our families need for their summer programming in enrichment will go out tomorrow and those schools can start planning for that first week in June when our our littlest ones will, will get back in and, and continue on. So just uh, a good day. You're going to hear from the leaders here. They'll take um, some of the specifics and at the end, all of us will take questions. With that, Lieutenant Governor Flanagan. Thank you, Governor. Good morning, everybody. Uh, so this budget agreement that we've reached today is a path forward for Minnesotans. COVID-19 pandemic has defined the past 14 months for all of us, both politically and personally. Everyone has felt the impact, but we haven't all felt it equally. And as we reach the end of this very long winter and talk about recovery, we must focus our attention and investments on those who have been hit the hardest. Our schools and students, our small businesses, and our working families. I'm especially proud that we have secured a historic investment in education that lifts up our young people who have been so resilient during these past two school years. Thank you to all of the voices who have kept pushing us for a budget that doesn't just get us back to normal, but gets us back to better. And to be clear, as is often the case, there is more work to do. Our work is not done today, and it's not done when this budget is passed and signed into law. This pandemic did not create the disparities and inequities that have disproportionately hit working families and black, indigenous, and communities of color. It has only exposed and exacerbated them. We have a responsibility to meet the urgency of the past 14 months and take action even when this pandemic is done. But we've shown once again that there is more that unites us than divides us. And Minnesota can lead with compassion and with care for community. It is who we should aspire to be. We found a way to work across lines of difference for the people that we serve, the people of Minnesota. So today is a good day. And with that, I'll hand the mic over to Leader Gazalka. Well, good morning. I think it's still morning. Uh, we worked late into the night, and um, sooner or later we had to come to a, a place of what we're going to set for targets. Uh, it, it's never, ever easy when you have divided government. It seems like it's going to be impossible. Uh, as we began the year, we just we said, Look, we're not going to raise taxes. We're going to focus on recovering from COVID. We're going to pay attention to what families need. And I feel like this agreement on the spending targets fits all of that. 
We have a, a, about a billion dollars of tax relief, uh, and that everything from paycheck protection. That was those those loans that were given to small businesses to, to keep their employees. Uh, the unemployment uh, benefits. We're not going to tax those either. And then a number of other things that will be in that. That was very important to us. In addition, uh, the legislative branch will have a large role in the almost $3 billion of federal, federal stimulus that came. Uh, we set aside a, a, a pot of money for the governor of $500 million because there's a lot of things that he needs to act on. And then the remainder of the legislative branch has oversight working with the governor. And as you just mentioned, uh, the governor said that uh, summer school, if it's going to happen, it's got to happen now. And so that comes out of that, that pot of money because it can be right away. So it, some of the policy issues we're, we're still working on, uh, related emergency powers, related to police accountability. That's the role of the conference committees. And as they work together, we're hoping to find some solutions there. Uh, but we, we did not address every policy issue at this point. We know that the process should do its work. So not easy. Uh, the fact that we are very different on many, many issues, it really is a tribute to Minnesota that we can figure out how to do it in Minnesota. But the work is, I would say it's not done, it just began. Now we have clear guidance about where to go. And with that, Speaker Hortman will make her comments. Well, um, you've seen this movie before and you know how it ended. The sequel is pretty similar to the original. Uh, here we are at the end of session. We're going to be going into a little bit of overtime, but you have three people who basically respect each other and are, are able to work well together despite huge ideological uh, rifts between them. So I'm happy that we got an agreement done on time and I was confident that working with these two gentlemen that we would be able to uh, get this agreement done for the people of Minnesota. Uh, the question that uh, keeps recurring is why does it always take till the end of session and why do we keep going into overtime? And I would say that you're not driving the same car that you did in 1973. You're not talking on the same phone that you did in 1973. And perhaps it's time to recognize that you don't need the same legislative calendar that you needed in 1973. And so, you know, none of us really relished the once every 30 day special sessions, but uh, the work that we have is far different from the work that was before the legislature when they set our 120 day legislative session. So that is a reform issue for another day. We deserve, our, we, we are um, required to send a big uh, thank you to the federal government. President Joe Biden and the Democratic members of Congress who voted for the American Rescue Plan made this agreement possible today where we were able to do pretty much everything everybody wanted. Some compromises. Um, so we're not as strong in some areas as we each would like to be. But we're in a position to give tax cuts, to have historic funding in E12, really um, an enormous investment in education because of the American Rescue Plan dollars. We know that we can take care of the pay for our frontline uh, home and community-based workers because of federal money. We're very grateful to our federal partners. For me, the most gratifying part was that we could make this historic investment in E12 education. You know, I have said uh, to the governor from the moment that he became the governor and I became the speaker that we want to be the majority 
that closes the opportunity gap in Minnesota's uh, educational system. We have the resources to take a substantial step forward and to really make progress. We have enough money to really invest in equity and closing gaps. And that's a particularly rewarding piece of this work for me on the money side. Now on the policy side, we do have more work to do. And really pivotal uh, among that is criminal justice reform. I think there's a lot of area for agreement and we look forward to working with our community and law enforcement partners to get an agreement that can pass a Republican Senate, a Democratic House, and be signed into law by a Democratic governor that serves all of Minnesotans, that enhances the community's trust in the police, and that makes the police uh, job a little bit easier because that community trust is restored. So this is a good day, uh, but I look forward to the 201 members of the legislature helping to complete the work. We'll continue following along with budget discussions and updates as they occur, and we'll have interviews with a few budget organizers and activists as well in the upcoming episodes. Finally, as you may or may not know, tensions in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories have again boiled over. Many have died, including almost three dozen Palestinian children, and possibly more by the time that you listen to this episode. Um... Hundreds more people have been killed, and dozens of buildings have been bombed um, by missile strikes, missile strikes from the Israeli Defense Force. Um, this included the main office for the Palestine, uh, Palestine Children's Relief Fund. As an Arab American from Jordan with familial roots in Palestine through my maternal grandfather, I wanted to provide you with a few options to step up and support efforts for justice. First, support the Palestine Children's Relief Fund. They need your help now, and they needed it before, and any anything you can give will be um, put to good use. Also, look into the boycott, divest, and sanctions movement. BDS was used in apartheid South, South Africa, and organizers have spent years organizing BDS campaigns now against the state and government of Israel for its role in the ethnic cleansing of Palestine and Palestinians. Companies like Sabra, SodaStream and Airbnb financially support the state of Israel through their business decisions. By boycotting these companies and companies like them, you can take a stand for justice. And finally, as, as of just three different ideas, write your elected officials or give them a call. The U.S. provides millions of dollars in weapons to the state of Israel, and the Biden administration has just approved a $735 sale and precision guide, uh, guided weapons to Israel, weapons that are too often used against Palestine and Palestinians. Now is the time to put pressure on your congressperson or your senator to speak up, and even your state legislature, to have that discussion with them. I'm praying for justice, but justice is a verb, and it's one we're all responsible for. I hope you take action because too many people are suffering. Well, that's it for now. Just a reminder that you can find the Radical News Radio Hour on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at CMiriam, and you can listen to previously aired episodes of this show and all of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Our website is journalismofcolor.com, and that's where you can find a transcript of this episode as well as information on all of my upcoming community journalism trainings. You can find um, reach our show at radicalnewsradiohour at gmail.com with tips, recommendations, and any questions. 
And for now, thank you all for joining us for this episode of the Radical News Radio Hour. Just a reminder that you're listening to WFNU, LP, St. Paul, Frogtown, Community Radio, 94.1 FM. Thank you for listening.